Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for, and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Exvoyant is here to help at this time of crisis. We've put together a sales leadership seminar for sales leadership teams of all shapes and sizes. The current sales leadership crisis will far outlive this COVID crisis we're all facing. And after working with literally hundreds of sales leaders around the world, I've found four levers the most successful sales leaders are adjusting to effectively navigate the storm facing us all right now. This is a one-hour interactive presentation for your sales leaders conducted by me. This seminar is supported by a workbook with key activities you can conduct with your sales leaders, as well as a private website with videos to help you implement each of, the, of these levers in a way that will help you create as much influence with your team as you possibly can. We offer this free for all sales leaders. There are no strings, no asks, and nothing but an experience that will motivate and inspire members of your sales leadership team. To schedule your private seminar with your team, hit me up today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth salespeople share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Christina Jaramillo, president at Personal ABM and partner at Stop the Sales Drop. Christina is an account-based marketing and social selling expert who helps B2B sales orgs around the world increase revenue with innovative approaches to their sales engagement. Christina and Personal ABM do amazing work with sales and marketing execution. However, they also realize that sales and marketing orgs need advisory services to help navigate uncharted territory for each company they work with. And there is more uncharted territory than there has ever been before. This is why Christina's team created Stop the Sales Drop, which includes virtual summits, peer groups, industry research, and consulting, and they got a big summit coming up that I'm excited to be part of that I want to talk about today. I, as a result, I thought now would be a great time for Christina to join us. Christina, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to have you. You're doing some fun things. you got a big lineup coming up with this event. I want to get into all of that, and uh, so let's just jump in. Uh, why don't we start just by introducing you and, and uh, your organization for our, our listeners who may not be, uh, be as familiar with you yet. Can you introduce uh, Personal ABM and, and Stop the Sales Drop and what you do to help your, your customers? Sure. Uh, Stop the Sales Drop is actually morphed out of Personal ABM, so let's start there. Personal okay. ABM has been around for some version or, or another for over nine years, almost ten now. And um, we basically like to say that we're marketing for sales because – Usually marketing does its own thing, sales does its own thing, and it doesn't necessarily jive both ways. So we typically work with sales leaders. Um, but we were noticing that marketing was usually just generating leads and doing brand awareness, but we figured that they really should be accountable for revenue and for sales and for that whole conversation. So that's pretty much where we started. Uh, we help SaaS companies. We help logistics companies. We want a personalized approach, so personal ABM. So we take ABM and do it on a more of a micro level on named accounts, accounts that are maybe stalled or accounts that are at risk of being lost. And we saw some clients drop off with our um, firm. But more importantly, we saw a lot of our clients were having their own issues with their uh, business challenges with this whole C19 thing. So we figured we'd start this stop the sales drop as a advisory and the first thing we wanted to do was get together a bunch of great sales and marketing leaders. We're up to over 50 as of today wow. um, that are going to be doing a bunch of different things that are really excited about, some interactive things. And just to, like, help everybody learn together as opposed to kind of being scared or paused or whatever it is and, and rebound quicker. So rebound today versus a year from now, two years from now. So that was pretty much what the summit's goal was, and I think we're, we're going to hit that. I like that, rebound quicker. Um, you know, the, the people who start playing offense first are going to have a new 
first mover advantage. Like that's one of the things that you and me have talked about, Christina, that I'm excited about your emphasis, you know, with, with the fact that I want to get into this. Some companies have pushed pause right now as they're like seeing what will happen. Mm-hmm. It creates opportunity to create a new first mover advantage, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're going to get into that in a second, but I like that introduction. It's very helpful. Thank you. What about you? I mean, how'd you, how'd you land in sales? I, I, I love talking to all these <laughs> experts like yourself because I still haven't found the one that grew up saying, when I grow up, I'm going to be in sales. So no, how did no. you get there and how did it lead you to starting your own deal? Uh, it's very interesting. I kind of fell in it, into it like everyone else. And um, I started in corporate. We won't talk about that anymore because I love being a business owner. Um, but I worked for a content and article marketing expert type of thing, kind of um, promoting his business, getting him more clients, getting him more leads. And I kind of, you know, I went to him and I said, you know, look at this LinkedIn thing. He's like, I don't have time for another social platform. If it's not going to get me revenue, if it's not going to get me sales conversations, I don't have time. So I basically took it on as a pet project and figured out what was working, how to engage with people, how to deliver value. And then we used him as a guinea pig, his business, and we rolled it out to his clients and it kind of morphed from there that he basically took that aspect and kind of ate his business into it and his business kind of went to the side and it's just ah. an interesting morphing story. Okay. And and so you kind of fell into it. So that's interesting. Was there anything that led you to like saying sales is kind of where I want to focus? Because everybody's story is kind of interesting as, as you find because – People that aren't in sales often don't realize how great of a profession it is. They just, they see it as this thing that, you know, you can't get a degree in and they just, you know, there's all these negatives that sometimes. So I love hearing people's stories, how they found out it's such a great profession. I think, I think what people have a problem with, I think is it can be from the outside intimidating, mm. but no, I noticed that like things that are usually intimidating or scary are probably the more, most fun and more, more challenging is the better at, uh, the result and just more, interesting for me but I have always as a young I don't know young teenager I was very shy so now sales kind of forced me to be out of my shell and now I've just been more chatty and I like to learn about other people's problems and try to solve them if I can so I feel like a salesperson is basically a problem solver at heart and that's what I love about doing it and I particularly love the challenger sale I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that book because I don't like to do things maybe the old-fashioned way or the status quo way and kind of like push people's buttons or push back a little bit and to what they're doing wrong and how they can fix it and be better. So I I think that's pretty much I just kind of fell into it and evolved. Cool. So let's talk about what you're seeing then. So you work with a lot of organizations. You're doing some some really interesting stuff that we're going to learn about as we talk. But we're in the middle of – I like how you you, you and I have talked about like these – kind of challenging, uh, we're navigating uncharted territory, I think is how you said it, which I like. What are you seeing right now? As you work with your customers and as you talk to people, what are you seeing right now? I mean, are, are you seeing that the buy cycle, the way people buy, has that changed? Are you seeing, you know, what, what are your observations right now? Uh, from what I'm experiencing and from what I'm talking to different people, I definitely think that it has been different and it's going to continue to remain different for a while and it might even stay that way. Um, I was actually talking to one of our summit speakers, Ardith Albee. Some people might be familiar with her. She's actually VP of marketing and Modis. And mm-hmm. what she noticed and what we kind of discussed was that people went from focusing on growth, investing, KPI achievement to freezing budgets, conserving cash, improving efficiency, and basically removing risk wherever they could find it. So I think that they're going to be conserving cash for a long time. So even when business begins to I don't know, quote unquote, normalize because everyone was so caught off guard with this pandemic. Um, right. I think they're going to be just kind of gun shy as we move forward, especially when it comes to large investments. So they might not be open to buying um, per se, but I think large deals are still going to come through. I think people just have to go to a shift to an education mode if they haven't already done that. Um, so think this is where it comes into play that social email live conversations are more personalized um, and more targeted because you're going to have to give the C-suite and all those decision makers and the in the buying committee, you know, like a strong reason to change because there's a lot of people competing for those dollars right now and there's even less dollars to compete for. So 
So this is interesting, Christina. I'm glad you shared that conversation and stuff that you've seen because, like, as an enterprise salesperson, there's an interesting chart that I was introduced to years ago that you've probably seen. It's like the shifting buyer concerns throughout the sales cycle. And it always starts with their concern is, you know, the problem that they have to solve. And then it shifts to who are the right people that can solve it. And then there's a few other shifts. And at the very end, the avoidance of risk, what's the risk of solving this? Is, is that the, That's a concern at the very end. As you talk to me now, you're saying that risk avoidance, you know, and removing risk is now one of the primary. It's like one of the first things they're looking at. Am I interpreting that the right way? Yeah, I think from what I've seen, I mean, it could be different in different industries, but from what I've seen, it kind of what you just said, that chart could probably be flipped, that the risk is going to be first first now. And or then second, everyone, yeah. Yeah, or second. Yeah, well, budget obviously is going to be an issue too if, if people are even thinking about that. But, yeah, I think risk is going to be a major thing because that's money that's almost um, more – I don't know if it's worth more because it could go to different things that, you know, might lead to revenue for the company down the line. So that risk is going to be a big deal. So, so, so from what you're doing, you help people, I'm guessing, understand that. So like the first thing is there's, there's probably three buckets of of buyers right now. There are probably some that are still buying. There are probably some that are shrinking and they're, you know, they're literally like, we're just trying to stay alive. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be some in the middle that are like, we're on hold. You know, we're just removing this risk. We're in pause mode right now. And I think on the ones on the front, um, they're still buying. Obviously, find those people and sell to them. The ones that are on the back, you know, we literally are dying. We can't buy. You know, it's like probably we could have a conversation about how you stay in touch and wish them well and just kind of take a sideline and see if they make it, right? Unless yeah. maybe you could help them make it. Let's address this other group that's in pause mode right now for a minute, Okay. I mean, are there things you can do there? Are there like, what, what are you seeing? And, and, and this is part of what you guys do. You know, if, if the buy cycle has changed and that this risk thing is, is first and people are kind of taking a wait and see approach, what are some ways that sales leaders can help their reps be helpful or relevant at a time when they're taking things in? Well, I think that the selling process is definitely going to have to be one of facilitation. So you're going to being, you're going to be in a teaching kind of mode, which I think a lot of the great salespeople are, but I think it's going to be even more important now. They're going to have to teach buyers how to buy again because I think they're just so scared and so nervous, which means you're going to have to support the sale, understand their priorities because obviously those have changed, what's going on with them as an individual, what's going on with them as a company, and what's going on, you know, like where they are and what's driving that sale. So supporting the sale is going to be the most important part instead of pushing which will make buyers pull away fast and they're going to hide and they're, you know, because they're already disrupted. They don't need any more um, problems or challenges or anything like that. So I think what people are going to have to do is try to provide them with relevant insights, um, maybe some stuff that they haven't considered before, help them see their specific gaps and how to begin to fill those gaps so they can see that way forward and supporting the sale, supporting the buyer is going to pull that sale versus, uh, pull that sale through the funnel versus, um, you know, kind of pushing them away and it hopefully pull them through when that budget becomes available. And hopefully that's sooner rather than later. Hmm. So I'm looking at this and, and I, I like that, that you're just so focused on this and you made a statement, teach buyers how to buy again. So when someone's in pause mode, like what are some advice? What are some tips on how you do that? That's a really, I like that. That's a powerful statement. Teach them how to buy again. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I think about a lot is how do you play offense without being offensive? And um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So how do you teach them how to buy again without being the know-it-all? Is there a way to do that? I yeah, I think it's just. So I'm sorry that I'm digging. I just love no, the no, idea. No, no, no. I know. I totally get it. I think what it comes down to is understanding what their priorities are, um, and actually not guessing at them, just learning more about them. And that being in that teach mode is when people are going to be more upfront about what their priorities are. Cause you might think that you know what their priorities are with C19 and with everything. And for all, you know, they could be in pause and hold, but then they also might be thriving. You just, don't, you're not sure. So I think teaching is going to be more relevant uh, or more important than ever. Um, so they see you as a partner, as a resource that they can lean on for support as 
opposed to, you know, that generic person who's sending you, um, I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're staying, you know, working from home okay with kids and everything, and want to schedule a demo. No. Don't even talk about the demo. Don't talk about your company. Talk about them, 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 their company, their needs, their wants, what's going on with them. And then you can get into that buying conversation, maybe two, three messages down the line. So I'm listening to you, and I'm burning up a notepad right now, Christina. And this is interesting because the word that you just said that I really dig is the teacher. And um, and so we, we as sales leaders should help our reps become teachers right now. As people are evaluating, we want to be the best teachers. So that's like, so what's our syllabus look like? Right? What's What are the, you know, instead of, you know, the content that we're going to send people, what are the conversations we're going to have? And, and maybe just as important, what are the homework assignments that we as teachers give these customers and, and can they accept these homework assignments and want to engage with us? Uh, without, you know, spending a lot of time thinking about that, it, while people are in this time where they're trying to learn how to buy again, how good are we at make helping our reps become teachers? I like that. Any any best practices or kind of say to our leaders, here's two or three things you really want to make sure you're doing if you want to establish your reps as teachers? Uh, yeah, I think focusing on being relevant as opposed to the generic relevance where you maybe put in their name and their company and maybe their role. Try to be as relevant as you can to what you think that particular person is, not just industry relevance, which is great and important, but their role, because the CMO at a company, the CSO at a company is going to have different um, goals and responsibilities and targets that they want to hit than the VP of marketing or the VP of sales is going to have, or even the CEO. So you want to see if you can be as relevant to them as possible and just try to learn from them in that process. So yeah, you want to teach from them, but you also teach them, but you also want them to teach you what's going on with them so you can get some insight into their their priorities because they've shifted. Yeah, so that, that would tell me that since the buy cycle is a lot more cautious, that our sales cycles need to address that like immediately, right? And that's this teaching approach. Do you think that's going to stick around this way when, when things start to change and, and uh, you know, people start to become a little less – uh, uncertain of what's what the world's looking like. Do you think that people are going to say, "Hey, this cautious approach might have been uh, more prudent than the growth at all costs approach," which we used to see, right? <laughs> I mean, any thoughts on what you think will happen there? I think it's going to be around for a while. I don't think it's a necessarily permanent because I think sales does do better the opposite the the way that they were you know working before. I personally like the more cautious approach because I feel like you can get more personal and more relevant to each individual person. Okay. Um, but I think it's just going to probably build up speed again. But I think at least for the next six months, maybe for the rest of 2020, be cautious, but also, you know, don't just being cautious doesn't mean stopping what you're doing and doesn't mean stepping away from selling. Obviously you're going to have to continue doing that, but you just have to change your mythology and then your way of going about it. Let me ask you this then. So since you say you like the cautious approach because you're, it's a helpful approach rather than an opportunistic one, have you found that the things that helped you be successful um, in the past are being more effective now or are you having to change those things now? I mean, how much are you having to change? Because if you, if, if you already have kind of liked this approach, here's what I found. And tell me, I'll tell you why I'm asking this. I found that at this time, it's it's been like a return to fundamentals. Like the great salespeople that were doing it right are still doing okay. And the ones that were maybe too focused on technique or maybe were using, I don't know, opportunistic approaches, um, they're the ones that are struggling more. Everyone's a little down, I think, but the ones that were like really fundamentally sound and focused on helping and focused on the individual and and in you know, their intent was more important than their technique. Those are the ones that seem to be doing better right now. And so I'm just wondering if you've seen similar things. I have seen similar things. And the reason I like the cautious doesn't mean I'm not opportunistic because I totally am. Um, But I do cautious for the most part, but opportunistic when things arise. Like a couple of years ago, we had a client that was, um, uh, excuse me, I can't think of it, IT service as a platform. So, 
okay. internet service or not, excuse me, in, information technology as a platform. And when Southwest Airlines had a big crash in their um, system and they were down for like a day or two, we took it as we used that as an opportunistic approach to show why that happened. What were the holes in their process nice. that led to that? So that's the type of thing like. But you were teaching. You were teaching. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But opportunistic when the when it arises, but not so much to, um, not necessarily make someone feel horrible about what they're doing or that they're doing something completely wrong. But I think the cautious just approach has been. It's it's it, we've not really changed our approach. Pretty much, it's pretty much continued the way it's it's gone. Um, you know, being cautious, but then opportunistic as a right as um when we see the opportunity to rise and um, see when it's relevant. But I think it's going to be that way for a bit. All right. I, I think you're probably right. I think that people were, were, are still going to want to grow aggressively, but I think, I think that we're going to see people expect better salesmanship. I, I think that we're going to see that. I think that we're going to see people expect to have, you know, cause like for instance, I think like the concept of how ROI is used is nobody believes it because it's a defensive maneuver that people try and I, I, I just think that people are going to have to get better at focusing on business problems and, and why the problems we're solving more than why your solution is so great. Why is this problem we're solving now? That to me is something that I'm seeing is what's leading to salespeople still having success. If you can identify why a problem's worth solving and why it's worth solving now, you know, what's the before and after look like today? You know, we have this problem, you know, for, like for what I do, it's like, you know, only 36% hit quota. And, you know, if I could go from 36% hitting quota to 56% hitting quota, that would be worth X amount to me. And that is worth like taking some risk around, right? Yeah. That's what I think. I think that as this pause button starts to come off, it's not going to go back to, go baby go and burn baby burn. I think the people who get really good at learning from this time at, at like dollarizing why problems are worth solving, those are the people who I think are going to have, you know, the most success. But again, that's just me. I'm interested in your take. I think, I think you're right. I think people who, who identify the problem, why it's so important is solving and not necessarily that, you know, once you solve the problem, it, does, it doesn't have to necessarily be my company. I think just showing those key points of what the problem is and why it's so important, you're going to want to lead back to you, but that's not going to be the, the end-all, be-all of, of the conversation. It's more important of what it's going to do, like what it looks like if you solve the problem versus if you wait six months to solve this problem. It's going to be this is what's going to impact your business or how it's going to impact your business. It's more going to be more important, but I think, I think you're totally right. So let's let's like talk about how we turn that into practice. So I'm thinking about sales leaders. We got a lot, we got thousands of sales leaders that are listening to you right now. Uh, I want to get to uh, some time on you know what you're going to be doing at your summit and who's going to be there and why they should sign up for that because I think that's uh, something our listeners should take advantage of, especially right now. But I'm thinking right now, okay, so how do we do that? So I, I, like you and I are having a pretty interesting conversation, and we're looking at how do we help our reps become teachers, and we're addressing people that are in pause mode or hold mode. Um, you know, so I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking, so how, how do we, how do we help our reps as they engage? Uh, how do we help them get good at this? Is this something that we can help them practice? Uh, I mean, any thoughts around that? Yeah, I think people can focus on being helpful, being relevant. And I think a lot of like one easy step for a lot of salespeople is to just take a look at their social profiles. In most okay. cases, I'm always looking at LinkedIn. So if someone reaches out to me, whether it's to pitch me or to have a call with me, spend any time on my calendar, I always do my research and homework on them. So I'm assuming most people nice. do. Okay. And that is going to list, uh, you know, go back to their website, go back to their um, LinkedIn profile, most likely. And I find that it's a lot of resume building, which I understand where people are coming from. When you're looking, when you're looking for a new role, that's what it should be. But I don't want to see your list of sales achievements because I automatically see and think that you are going to pitch me within 30 seconds. You're going to get me on a demo call. You're going to ask me one question, and you're going to go straight to screen share with me to show me why your product is so great. And I know that's what you're trained to do, but you can't do that. Um, yeah. I think if you tell a business story and make it relatable, use your profile as a piece of content. It's a tool to 
make you relevant to your audience, your target accounts, your target industries. You can break it up and even speak to maybe three top targets that you want to close. Um, and I think many sales reps and the uh, people that are maybe still starting and not as experienced kind of lose that when it comes to their profile because they're so interested in telling me that I hit quota for the last 10 quarters in a row and I hit quota by 110% or, you know, it, that's great if I was looking to hire you as one of my reps, but as a prospect. So well, have some content. You know, like, what are you talking about? Be, be collaborating, be contributing to the, whatever the community that your buyers are in. And so your profile needs to make sure that it's con- con- whatever that ideal customer profile is, make sure you're contributing to what's happening there is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, don't and I just think list the, how big of a badass no, you are. Yeah, exactly, which is great, and you don't want to, like, glaze over that because people want to know. But I think you have to continue that selling conversation. So whatever you're having versus, via email or via live conversations or whatever conversation you're having has mm-hmm. to continue on your profile because otherwise they're disconnect. Um, and when you don't tell that story, people can't relate to you, and that's the perfect place to tell that. All right, so that's a good first one. Let me ask you what might be a second one because I have a personal pet peeve. And uh, we have a uh, common friend in John Barrows. And John Barrows always says, whatever you do, don't say I'm just checking in. And I totally agree with that. And um, so when someone's on pause and they've told you we're in hold mode right now, how do you stay connected to them without falling victim to the I'm just checking in? Because when you say I'm just checking in, what that means is I have nothing to off- offer, but my fingers are crossed hoping that your situation has changed, right? Yeah. And that you're going to agree to a demo. Please, please, right. please yeah. agree to talk to me. Yeah. So yeah. for people that are in pause mode, and I got sales leaders that have lots of salespeople, how do we make sure we don't fall into that quicksand right now? I think they're going to have to make sure they're tailoring their conversation for relevance and teaching for differentiation to that people are going to know um, so that you're reframing the prospect's thoughts and ideas. And it doesn't, you know, that you're speaking to them versus speaking to hundreds of people like them. Um, So you got to have those emails or your, any kind of message. So instead of that checking in business, you should be saying that you're, personalizing there and not just that fly by personalization with the name, but you want to show empathy well, and then have a message that's going to connect with them on a human level. So you're speaking to that. They're again, going back to their new um, priorities, buying priorities, their new goals, their new, right. Um, whatever's new and imp- newly important to them. So I get, I like because if you are just checking in, that comes to me across as lazy or I have nothing to offer. And if you just are going business as usual, then that comes across to me as insensitive. Um, and, and maybe also lazy because you're just doing what you've always done. And so um, what we want is to make sure that people say, dang, every time Christina reaches out to me, she's got something that like I have to look at. And so that tells me that right now it's probably a quality game versus a quantity game. Absolutely. Um, I think every time you engage with somebody, whether it's a prospect or a client, that you have to give them a little bit of value. It doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be like the next best thing. It could be a piece of content that you thought would be really interesting for them to just take it into consideration that's relevant to them. And I think, when you engage with them on a human-to-human level every single time and you give them a little bit of relevant content or relevant interaction, that's going to be your biggest differentiator from all the other people that are filling in their inbox. I like that. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to be someone that instead of being avoided, someone that we're excited to see what they have to say, right? Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's the thing because we all got to keep selling. And I just think that right now, I mean, I was doing this with my own reps last week. Uh, we sat down and said, listen, what are the new usage situations that are hitting our customers? And let's be the first ones to be talking about those so we can show that we're connected to it. Um, we don't want to be beating the same drum right now. We want to make sure we're talking about what's new and what's relevant. And so I, I think that relevancy and helpfulness, those are two words I've written down that I've listened to you talk about today, relevancy and helpfulness are the most important. And so I think that I would take that approach and say, I, I think that slow down so you can be relevant and helpful will make it so you can speed up as I, Absolutely. I'm like, 
Am I getting what you're saying right? Yeah, it's funny that you said that because I had a colleague that used to tell me to slow down to speed up um, because I, I'm i from the East Coast, and I'm just naturally super fast, and you give me some yeah. caffeine, and I'm just like, da-da-da-da-da, go, 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 go. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of salespeople are like that because that's the nature of the game. That's the nature of the right. business. But I think if you slow down and take your time and recalibrate and refocus and share that relevance, you're going to be the person that someone goes to for um, – for advice, but also, okay, we have this problem and we know that you've been speaking a really a lot about it and we have some great insights. How can you help us? So almost making the buyer initiate the buying process as opposed to you forcing it to happen, which usually when you try to force things, it doesn't necessarily work out the way you intended. And it kind of forces it into a pricing war or going right to RFPs, which maybe not the best. Mm. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that. You're right. So I, I, I dig that. So, again, you're working with companies on trying to turn pauses into maybe now or turn no's into pauses. You're good at that. Um, are you seeing any success stories right now? Or, or maybe let's wrap it up another way. What are a couple of traps that you see people falling into? And what's maybe a best practice or two that you've seen maybe drive a success story? So I think a lot of tra- uh, one big trap that I've been seeing a lot and I've been even hearing a lot of other people say is that the customers they have, they don't really treat them as prospects anymore. They kind of figure, okay, we have a relationship. They've been working with us for five years, 10 years. They're, they're going to continue to work with us, which, you know, they might, but they also might be at risk. And if you are only dealing with the implementer or the director or the person that's using your tool or service and not necessarily okaying um, the next um, the next contract or expanding on that contract, then you're missing something. There's a disconnect. We've had clients that were at risk of losing accounts because they were only dealing with that implementer and because they were only talking about uh, the benefits of what they were delivering to the client as opposed to the value they were delivering and the value that they um, – so – I think people, that's one thing that I've seen a lot of people have been talking about to me recently, that they're not talking to their customers or treating their customers with the same respect that they would a prospect. And your customers are probably, you know, you know them the best, so you want to capitalize on that, and you can expand accounts with them or lengthen contracts with them quicker than you're going to get somebody who's cold coming in. Christina is so smart. You know, I think you're dead on. There's so many reasons, you know, like, we have salespeople that are so, I mean, we do, we have to go get new revenue and we have specialized roles. And so CX will be the ones who do the expansion or, or customer success will do this expansion. And we have other people that do the prospecting and AEs just feel like my job is to get leads where I go sell. And I actually think that's going to probably change. I think that the specialized model is going to face a lot more pressure under what's going on right now. But the problem that comes with that is I think you're so smart, Christina, too many salespeople are relying on what someone else tells them customers are saying. We should be talking to our customers a little bit right now if for no other reason so we can hear in the customer's voice what is going on for them. And I think you're dead on. I don't think enough salespeople spend time talking to their customers to see what's going on and if, how they can help them. I, I think you're right on because right now with sales potentially being slower, you can't afford to try to replace stuff. You got to hold on to what you got. Absolutely. And I think when you talk to a client, you also can get some insights on how you might be able to help a, pro- help a prospect. Like what you filled for that client, they're going to be your, your champion, right? Right. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, that's something that I think is a really good trap and best practice on the flip side of the coin. Uh, the, the trap is we take our customers for granted as salespeople, and on the flip side, we aren't talking to them, so we don't get the benefit of speaking with their voice and talking about things that are relevant because they will feel pain. Like I mean, they're going to feel the problems way more acutely than we are, and so if we're going to say we understand what boat you're in, we've got to be able to hear it in their voice, and so I I love that you said that as the first trap to avoid, and so I, I would echo what you're saying, Christina. I'd say every sales leader should probably, you know, make right now part of what we're doing is make sure you're talking to a couple of customers, not just prospects. Yeah. Now is the time to pick it up. Um, 
trying to think. Get That's back a to good that one. Question. That was good. My question was any traps that oh, any today traps. you oh, see people yeah. fall into, and how do you turn those into best practices? Well, I think flipping, like we were talking about a little earlier, that false empathy that I think a lot of people are kind of glazing uh, over. Another You might not know these people, so you kind of have to fake it a little bit. But I think if you you can give them the empathy, but then also say, since you know things are a little t- down, I wanted to give you some insights that could help your business now, as opposed to I want to sell you now. So just get that selling part out of your mind for like the first initial conversation and say empathy, but then also give you something that might help you. That's good. False empathy. Why is that such an easy trap to fall into? And why is it such a bad trap to fall into? I, I think it's easy because it's just, it's an easy thing to do. And I think people are just kind of ready to do it. And they've, they've seen it themselves as salespeople, probably other people trying to pitch them somewhere along the line. And I think it's a bad because it just makes you like a robot as opposed to a human on the other end. It almost feels like you're just spamming out this content to me and it wasn't actually you typing it or you copied and pasted it from something that your, you know, your sales leader gave you and just kind of threw it up there and put my name in the email. Any tips on how someone can get away like from false empathy? Cause I like how you call it false empathy because you kind of sometimes have to fake it a little bit, but there's, I think there's probably some ways that if we understand our market and our customer and we've done a, even a little bit of homework, because here's what I think false empathy is. You've already said it. I'm going to say it probably the exact same thing with a different way. And the reason I feel it is I get 20 salespeople a day hit me up via email. Um, and it's usually this. I trust that things are good with you and your family. Or it's I trust things are good with you and your company. And then they hit the brakes. It's a hard left turn. Now let me tell you what I got to talk to you about, right? And you don't know me. I mean, you don't know me at all. Like, Christina, if you were to ask me that, I would say, oh, thanks for asking. Do you see what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. but. But when you don't, I think there's ways that you can show empathy because you either know personas, organizational structures, or markets. It doesn't just have to be, I hope you're okay. Any Anything you've seen on how you avoid false empathy? Well, I think empathy is definitely important now. So you don't you don't want to just like totally ditch it and act like you're tone deaf to what's going on. But I think if you say, you know, I heard a lot of people in your industry are experiencing X or I heard a lot of people in your role are experiencing X and this is what I think maybe might help you, that helpful thing going back to it again and again and again. I don't think there's such a thing as being too helpful um, unless you get to the point where that's all you do and you don't kind of drive that conversation back to you eventually. Um, But I think if you say that kind of give some kind of insight into you, you see that people are experiencing other things. So I think – for me as a person I know and for what I've seen from other people is that if you feel like you're in the same boat as other people, it's not just you feeling a downturn or a pause or a drop off or a slow in business. There's other people that are experiencing it too, but what can we do together collectively or what other things are working to boost that or to get out of that kind of paused or slow situation? You're good. I like it. It's clear you're talking to people right now, and I appreciate you being willing to share some of your playbook. Let's shift a little bit, and let's talk about your summit you got coming up. I'd, I'd like to give them a good, our listeners, a little bit of an intro from you who's put it together. I, you have a great list of speakers, some people that have been on our show. you got some of the people that you know, I obviously like because you've had them on my show, and I have a high opinion of them, and you've got a really good uh, selection of experts. It sounds like it's up to 50 of them now. Uh, and, and this is something that I want to endorse and get behind and make sure our listeners know this is something worth looking at. So can you introduce that to them? Sure. Um, it's a virtual summit. It's called Stop the Sales Drop, and you can go to the site, stopthesalesdrop.com, and you can learn more about it. And it was more um, – we found that people were having that issue where you said they were in the three buckets. They were thriving, so we can always help to thrive more. They were right. paused, or they were, like, struggling to stay afloat. So we wanted to help those people. So we got together a group of 50 sales and marketing leaders. We have people that are actually running their own agencies. We have people that are guest um, expert speakers or experts in their field. And we also have people that are actually daily grinding at VPs of sales and VPs of marketing in actual tech companies or software companies. So it's a variety of things. And what we're really proud of is that we are making the summit, like you said, over 50 people, but it's um, no PowerPoint. Um, it, we don't want it to be canned. We want it to be as conversational, pretty much like your show is, interacting like you would if you were having coffee, meeting face-to-face type of thing. We are limiting 
one spe- one-on-one speakers, like interview kind of style for 30 minutes or less. I think we have them down to 23 minutes so that we can do like Q&A. And then we have panels where there's like three or four speakers talking about one topic and that's limited to 45 minutes. So everything is very concise. Um, it's not canned. It's all live. You can listen to it on demand. Um, but there is a variety of stuff that's just for sales, a variety of stuff that's for just for marketing and stuff that is for both sales and marketing. Cause I think as much as people talk at nauseum about aligning sales and marketing, now is the time, I think even more than ever that we have to so that we're all um, moving together. So like sales doesn't take a step forward without marketing's input and vice versa. Like you don't do, you don't send out mar- uh, marketing messaging without sales approval. Um, and sales doesn't send out what they think the company does or what they think that their goal is as a, as an organization without marketing, you know, putting some insight in there or kind of um, okaying it. So I, that's basically what we wanted to do. We wanted everyone to say, you know, everyone's been saying on the media, we're in this together. But I think we're in this together. We can grow together and get out of this quicker and rebound faster together by learning together as opposed to competing for that same prospect. So that was the goal. I love it. I love that whole thing. Rebound faster, play offense sooner, you know, grow together. Don't figure it out on your own. If there's ever been a reason to participate in an event, that's the one right there. And that's one of the reasons I love our community so much. The sales community generally has a pretty abundant mentality. You know, I, I see companies that are bitter rivals finding ways to play nicely with each other, you know, and, and uh, I, I love our community. So I, I, appreciate you putting this together and I'm excited to participate in it. And, and I hope you get a bunch of listeners of the show to sign up. We've been, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to promote it. And uh, I hope that we have a lot of people show up. Why don't you just share the date as well so they sure. can hear it from you. Yeah, it's June 1st um, through June 5th, which is a week after Memorial Day. Um, it's live. So the goal is to attend on live, but there's so many sessions that you might either be double booked or whatever it is you can have it on demand as well. So if you go to stopthesalesdrop.com, you can see over the 50 speakers, including yourself, um, and just learn more about it, and you'll see what's relevant to you. And there, there's something for everyone, and the goal is to grow and be strategic in moving forward. Nice. All right, we're getting to, we're coming to the end. I can't believe how fast the time went. This is a really good one. I, uh, If I'm a sales leader listening to this right now, I hope you're thinking about how am I helping my my reps become a teacher? How am I helping them become helpful? How am I helping them become relevant rather than just, you know, being coin operated right now? And uh, so let's finish the way we finish everyone. We do the rapid fire here at the end. <laughs> three, three questions in a hurry. You ready? Yep, ready. Number one, what do you see as the biggest sales leadership challenge today? And, and what's your suggestion and how you beat that down? Ooh, okay. I feel like sales leadership, their biggest challenge is getting their directors and their managers and everyone else on the team um, to communicate differentiation and unique value. And it kind of leads to a sea of sameness. So I feel like people that are competing at the same, in the same industry all sound the same and all look the same. It's basically comes out to a price war and we don't want to have that thing. That's just going to be rough because it, it devalues your solution. So communicate difference, differentiation and unique value. I love that one. Uh, I love that one. I don't hear that one very often when I ask this question. And I think you're right. I don't think it's how you're better or worse. It's how you're different and why it matters. So I love that. Very good one. Number two, when you're interviewing members of the team, when you're you know helping your organizations hire and build out uh, their sales teams, is there like a favorite or a go-to interview question or interview topic? And what are you looking for when you go there? Um, I like to see... I like to see their team player, but I like to ask them, like what you like to ask, what they're reading, what they're into, and what approaches they like to use. And if someone can allude to the challenger sale, it might not be the challenger sale per se. I kind of like that because that means we're on the same same brain wave, same kind of thinking process. I like it. That's also a good one. Which, speaking of what are you reading, that's the last one is we found that leaders are readers and uh, the great ones have never, they, they're committed to never stopping their, their uh, learning journey. Is there like a book you would recommend or maybe it's an audible they listen to or if you want to do it in bite sized chunks, is there like a podcast or a blog? I don't care if it's either one of those. Is there something you would recommend for our listeners that are serious about continuing their, their sales leadership journey that you'd say get your hands on this? Absolutely. There's two books. Uh, I know the Challenger sales is a uh, popular one, and I like that Love one, it. but I like the Challenger customer better. 
That's something that I use all the time, and I feel like it's kind of not talked about enough. And the other one is Escape Philosophy by Jeffrey Moore, um, because it's it discusses freeing you from the pull of the past, so basically how you can change and um, evolve at your selling technique. We have not had someone recommend that one. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, Escape Velocity. Escape Velocity. This has been awesome, Christina. I appreciate it. I, I, I agree with you on the challenger and the challenger customer because one's focused on how people buy. The other one's focused on how you sell. Um, I'm not surprised to hear you say that as I've gotten to know you a little bit better <laughs> on this conversation. Um, this has been fantastic. Is there any kind of final thought that you'd use to kind of sum up your approach or your thoughts on what you're seeing right now that might help our sales leaders? Uh, I think what I would suggest to sales leaders, no matter the rank level experience, is just to stay relevant, stay um, educating your buyers, and do not pitch right away. I know it's hard. <laughs> I know it's hard. I'm speaking from a marketer's point of view. Do not pitch me right away. All right. <laughs> She is keeping people relevant. She's helping people remove risk. And most important, she's helping people become teachers uh, in this new buying environment. It's Christina Jaramillo. Uh, I, I'm so excited to be part of what you're doing with Stop, Stop the Sales Drop and the virtual summit coming up. And, Christina, thank you for joining us. And as I say to everyone, happy selling. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first I want to remind each of you that I have developed a sales leadership seminar for your sales leadership team that I want to share with you for free. That's right, for free. No strings, no asks. Because after working with companies around the world during this COVID crisis, I have found four levers that the most successful sales leaders are pulling to create success. So I want to give you an experience for your leaders, one that's going to motivate, one that's going to inspire, one that's going to help you create more influence in your one-on-ones immediately. I'm not going to ask for anything other than I just want to be as helpful as possible. So hit me up and let's get it scheduled. I've delivered this to a ton of organizations and the response has been phenomenal. Now, I really enjoyed this conversation with Christina, and before I share my thoughts, I want to encourage each of you to register for her event, Stop the Sales Drop. It's going to be amazing. It will be a great event under any circumstance, but it's especially timely right now. It's a killer lineup. If you like the podcast, you're going to like this event because tons of our guests are going to be sharing killer insights. Some of our favorites like Max Altshuler, Colleen Stanley, Josh Braun, Richard Harris, Scott Lease, and Sherry Levitin have all joined me on the podcast, and they're going to be bringing the heat at this event as well. There are so many great speakers, and this event is exactly what you need to help rebound faster. If you have not registered yet, do yourself a favor and do it today. Go to www.stopthesalesdrop.com and then use the code that I've given you, Sales Leadership Podcast 100, and it will save you 100 bucks. And then when you're done, hit me up and let me know what you think about my presentation on the sales leadership crisis that you're going to hear me give. It's some of my favorite material. It's uh, going to be kind of an unplugged experience on the mic, and I'm really excited to share it. Now, Christina had a couple of big and important themes in this conversation. The first was about rebounding faster. I've been talking about playing offense without being offensive, and this is exactly what you need to be facilitating as a sales leader right now. But the second theme is what I want to hone in on, teaching buyers how to buy again. I think Christina is dead on. Buyers are very risk averse right now. We've kind of taken what used to start with being about needs, and now everybody is so risk averse that it's really changed some things for us. Um, you know, I, I look at this and I say that, that everything is requiring more consensus than it has ever required. People are very unwilling to make unpopular decisions right now. It used to be about meeting needs building a strong business case, and then addressing the risk of not solving the problem at the very end of the sales process. Today, I think people are focused on only addressing risk right now. How do you help risk, How do you help your reps identify risks that are staring down uh, their customer's org right now? That, that's what it comes down to. And, and I think that that's why you see that everything's ending up on the CFO's desk. It used to be really easy to go say, hey, let's go get... X amount of dollars because we built a good business case and people would take a flyer on something. They're not doing that now. They are only doing things that are mission critical. It's got to be must have, no more nice to haves. Okay. 
So Christina has a lot of great insights on how to do this. I thought it was interesting, you know, that, you know, they centered her, her thoughts centered on being helpful and relevant. And in a time when so many people are offering what Christina calls fake empathy, and I agree with that term, fake empathy, understanding how to offer empathy has never been more important. It reminds me of an exercise I like to do with, with uh, sales teams around trust. I have everybody take 60 seconds and write down as many synonyms of trust as they can think of. At the end of the 60 seconds, I put them in groups and I have them share their answers. If even one person on the team does not have a word that someone says, they got to scratch that word off the list and then uh, go to the next word. It's been interesting to watch the looks on everyone's faces as they say, see just how different everyone's definition of trust is. Most of the time, a group will have zero words that everyone agrees on. And that's an eye-opener when you see that people have words that kind of mean the same thing, but they're different. And the takeaway is everyone's definition of trust is different. There are, however, three words that show up most often. Honest, helpful, and reliable. So if you want to be trusted, and if you want to help reduce risk and have someone give you a chance to reduce risk, you need to create experiences where people can see that you're honest, Number two, they'll find that the things you discuss are helpful. And finally, they're going to have an experience where working with you, they see you do what you say you will do so they know you're reliable. You know, those are very similar words to what Christina shared. So if you want to rebound faster, focus on relevancy. Now is the time to not just use scripts and templates. Now is the time to show that you get them. Now is the time to be helpful. Now is the time to differentiate by how you reduce risk. And by how you sell, not by what you sell. So thanks to Christina for joining us and for such a rich conversation. I'm excited to participate in her event and thank her for joining us today with such a meaningful conversation. Most of all, thanks to each of you, our listeners. The show is growing faster each week and I can't thank you enough for the support and the shares. If you like the show, please, please, please head to the iTunes. Give us another five-star review because this is the best way for the show to grow and for me to continue to get access to the best sales leaders in the world. So this week, here's to teaching buyers how to buy again. Here's to helping being, here's to being so helpful and relevant that they'll trust us faster than they would ever expect us to. My challenge to you, work closely with your reps to make sure they're focused on connecting and then the removal of risk. It has never been more important to sell to the P&L than it is right now. Teach your team how to have killer conversations this way. If you can help each member of your team become great at engineering these kind of conversations, I promise you they will thank you for it. I wish you all a fantastic week. And as always, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.